Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety, the podcast from Lighthouse Hockey. My name is Dan Saracini. Uh, joining me this evening via Skype is my friend and Lighthouse Hockey contributor and founder of the Cap Space, Kerry Haber. Kerry, what's going on? I'm doing well, Dan. How are you? I am very well. Uh, so obviously, normally, uh, Michael Leboff would be in this spot, but Mike is busy covering a little thing you may have heard of called the U.S. Open. So uh, he's got bigger fish to fry, <laughs> but that's okay because uh, we want to talk to Kerry about uh, you know, seeing now that the Islander season is over, kind of taking a step back and, and looking at things analytically and mathematically and seeing kind of how, how certain Islanders shook out during the course of the season, how the team kind of shook out as, as, as a whole, and then getting into uh, the UFAs uh, that they possibly could resign or maybe go after uh, is in free agency. And uh, the best person we thought to go to would be to carry. So uh, are, are you ready to, to kind of look at some of these players and uh, see, see where, uh, how they ended up? I am. I have some big shoes to fill tonight, so I hope I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> well, I have full faith that you can you can fill in for Mike uh, for this time. This is, I think, our second time we've ever done this without Mike, but I'm not even sure. I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so I want to start with a kind of a general question, and then and then we'll just see where the conversation takes us, and we'll just get. We're not going to probably talk to ev- talk about everybody right now, 
But, uh, you know, we just kind of want to get a general sense of, you know, the, the surprises and disappointments and, you know, guys that maybe had better seasons than people thought or maybe worse seasons than people thought. But um, I- I'm just going to throw this out there and we'll see where it goes. So if I were to ask you uh, who you think the Islanders MVP of this season was and you couldn't say a goalie, we'll get to the goalies later on. But if you couldn't say a goalie, uh, who would you say that that player was that was sort of the Islanders MVP this season? Uh, in terms of overall play. So, uh, first of all, nice caveat there. I appreciate that. Make, <laughs> make the question a little bit harder. Um, I, so, I think overall for the entire season, Matthew Barzell is the answer. Um, from start to finish, he was the team's best player when it comes to production, when it comes to uh, possession, and in general, in just threat level. He obviously was a guy that that teams keyed in on. But there was a shift that took place midseason when Devon Taves joined the team uh, around Christmas time. And at that point, the Islanders were were starting to play well. They were kind of finding their stride a little bit. But when Taves got here, uh, the team really took off. And I don't think that his influence should be understated there. Um, at that time, the, you know, the defense was kind of learning the system and, and, and coming into their own. But he ultimately uh, was one of the team's biggest contributors from expected goals, uh, from possession, and uh, even from a production standpoint. So, you know, it's kind of like I'm kind of giving a cop-out answer because if we want to look at the full season, Barzell's the guy. Like, he still is the best player on the team. But there was a noticeable change in how the Islanders played, and it showed in their record. I mean, I, I think since New Year's, um, they had the sixth best regular season record heading into the playoffs. And I don't think that that uh, without Taves, that would have been the case. So, um, you know, a, a lot of the early talk and was about regression and all that. But sometimes players come in and can kind of change the course on their own. And Taves is, is an example of a guy who I think uh, accomplished that. Yeah, I think uh, Barry Trotz has kind of labeled that uh, that point where Taves came up. Whether he's pointing directly to Taves or not, we don't know because he never actually says it. But uh, he came up with a team uh, when they were in Dallas and they went on that road trip through Dallas, Colorado, uh, Glendale and then Vegas or something, some combination of that. And uh, that was where he he jumped in. And that, like you said, I mean, that's where the team kind of started to solidify things. And then within a few weeks, they they became one of the hottest teams in the league and kind of stayed that way for a few months. So, yeah, I think I think Taves is definitely up there. Um, you know, I'm looking at uh, at natural stat trick right now, and you know he only played 48 games, so he played exactly half the season basically. And so, uh, you know, his numbers as far as time on ice aren't nearly as high as some other guys, and we'll talk about those guys in a second. But uh, I mean, you're looking at 53% Corsi four, and then expected goals uh, for I guess it's 32. I want to stop here for a second because I'm kind of old, so I, I have trouble taking in new information. But expected goals four is kind of like you know, I guess that's the kind of thing that people are really looking at right now. Could you just explain that again real quick before I forget and I don't sound like a dope going forward? Uh, yeah, fair enough. So expected <laughs> goals is essentially a measure of shot quality. And what it does is it takes the coordinates of where attempts take place on the ice. So basically, the NHL uh, real-time scoring system, what it does is it tracks where on the ice shots are being taken. And it, in some respects, uh, it's done by the official scorers, so there's a little margin of error there. But um, the, the, the formula that gets you to expected goals is it will take the coordinates on the ice, 
along with the type of shot that it was. And it combines a couple of other factors depending on the model that you're looking at. But um, between the type of the shot and where the shot is taken, essentially it looks at how uh, how likely it is that a goal is scored uh, on a given shot from that area with that type of shot. Um, and so when you look at expected goal share, essentially it's no different than shot share where uh, you look at all the expected goals for total and then the expected goals against total and then you kind of divide that uh, uh, expected goals for total into the overall total um, and that's your expected goal share. So in in layman's terms, what that essentially means is the likelihood of, of goals that are taking place on the ice at a given time, what is the percentage that, for example, Devon Taves would be on for total goals and in this case. It's a pretty high number. I think it's close to 60%, yes. um, which is quite good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. his expected goals for percentage is actually 57 Point six, which is the second highest on the team. Uh, Josh Hosang is number one. We'll maybe talk about him later, but uh, but yeah. So that, thanks for that. So that that makes sense. So basically, you know, his it's a it's a little bit like Corsi, but a little bit more kind of like I guess dictated by position on the ice and and shot selection. Basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. So like a tip in from right in front of the net, Anders Lee's uh, wheelhouse would be worth, so to speak, a lot more than a wrist shot from the point. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, an old timer like Brendan Witt would take, for example, <laughs> um, <laughs> ultimately goal or shots that are or attempts that are taking place closer to the net, um, that, and tip-ins are, are one of the most valuable type of shots because there's a change of direction involved there. Um, whereas kind of wrist shots from the point, for example, not so much. So it's taking all of that into account. Um, and that's essentially uh, how you're arriving at, at how likely it is a goal would be scored from, from that spot or not. Right. So, so from that point of view, yeah, Taves is one of the, actually one of the better, you know, uh, one of the higher Islanders on the list here. Uh, Anders Lee, as far as regulars go, is also up there. He's well over 50%. Uh, cause again, his, his point total is, uh, you know, he, we know where he makes his money, and he knows where he makes his money from those those areas that few people dare to tread. Uh, but Matthew Barzell is also right up there. Him and him and Lee almost have the same exact number, right? over fifty two percent. So, um, yeah, I think you know, I, I definitely think that Barzell uh, has a claim to the idea of the uh, the Islanders MVP. Uh, his sort of counting stats are a little bit down from his rookie of the year season. He had 18 goals, 44 assists this year for 62 points. And he had, I believe, 85 points last year when uh, it was kind of the Wild West out there under uh, Doug Waite, <laughs> some Doug Waite hockey uh, going on. We uh, we know that the Islanders were way more adept in their uh, the offensive zone in that season, but much less adept in their own zone. Let's put it that way. So, But, uh, yeah, you know, Barzell is still the guy people key on. Um, 62 points is... So nothing to sneeze at, uh, you know, as a, as leading a team, it's a little bit on the low side. Uh, the Islanders didn't come close to anybody having kind of a, you know, 80 point season. Uh, Lee led the team with 28 goals, uh, which is down from his 40 that he had last year. Uh, I was actually going to suggest, and Arthur Staple had an, uh, his uh, uh, report cards out earlier today for the defense, and uh, he made a compelling case for Ryan Pollock who uh, had a really, really good season and kind of came along. His uh, his expected goals for is 51%. His, uh, he led the team on time on ice. His uh, old uh, Corsi percentage is 46, which is kind of low. But at the same time, uh, you know, he did everything. And he was kind of the sort of number one defenseman by the end of the season. Um what was your take on on Pulik's season? I mean, he, he Staple threw around the the name Shea Weber, and I, I don't think he meant it in the sense that this guy's like Shea Weber now. But he kind of got used under Barry Trotz 
similarly to the way Trotz kind of helped bring Weber along in Nashville. And obviously Shea Weber became a monster. And if Ryan Pulley can become half that monster, hey, that's pretty darn good. But uh, but he had a really good season, right? I mean, I think maybe he's the kind of the guy who might deserve a little bit more recognition around the he league. He does. You know? um, and if you look at uh, the, the guys at Evolving Hockey – um, they put out a war stat each year, and Pollock actually led the Islanders in war this season. So there certainly is a compelling case there. I think um, his season was pretty interesting. I think he struggled the first 15 to 20 games, kind of adjusting to the system that uh, Barry Trotz is putting in place. But by the end of the year, I mean, everything you just said is, is pretty accurate. He clearly had uh, taken the next step in his development. I think moving off of the pairing with Nick Letty and onto Adam Pollock did wonders for his season. Just don't think it was a fit with Letty, and, and we could potentially talk about that a little bit more later on. Um, but in terms of where uh, Pollock's season individually lied, I mean, this is a guy that looked like a surefire number one defenseman after last season. But I think, to your point before, things got a little bit inflated under the Dugway pond hockey system. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there was an adjustment period there. But, again, you look at the playoffs, and he, he, there he is defending – four games against Sidney Crosby uh, in the next round. He's defending against Sebastian Ajo, and I know that didn't work out necessarily as well as the first round, but he was clearly trusted in that position. So um, it'll be pretty interesting to see where he goes going forward. He has one year left on his current contract, which is an extremely affordable, about $2 million. And then things are going to get a little bit pricey there. So um, you know that's something that we need the, the team needs to keep in mind rather as, as they – uh, move forward in free agency there are some guys that are going to be coming up after next season that are going to deserve hefty raises and um, he's one of them yeah Nick Letty is going to be an interesting case and we'll talk about him in the second half when we talk about changes for next year because the you know we've already talked about Taves and and Pollock and those guys were kind of expected like you know we've been hearing about Taves now for a long time shoot Gart Snow blamed the entire lost playoff season on the fact that Devon Taves was hurt when he was still in the AHL so I mean we've been hearing about this guy for some time and we've all kind of been waiting for Pollock to kind of have his breakout season we saw him play in the playoffs a couple years ago we've seen kind of fits and starts here but this year was the first big breakout year but you know making things tough for a guy like Nick Letty was the emergence of Adam Pellick, who you just mentioned, and Scott Mayfield, who also had really, really good seasons. And, you know, Snow, when he signed those guys to long-ish extensions for guys who really hadn't shown much at that point, we are all like, oh, there's goes Garth again, being kind of crazy. But right now, those two guys are, are locked up for a number of years now on really, really cheap contracts. Uh, Pellick's got two more years at $1.6 million, and Mayfield has four more years at $1.4 million. And so what those guys did this year was – more than just sort of hold their own. They, they played really well, and sort of by the end of the season, um, Pellick was definitely hurt uh, in the series against the Hurricanes, and I think that may have had not obviously affected him, but I think it also affected his partner, Adam uh, Ryan Pollock as well. But, uh, man, Mayfield was great in that series against the Penguins. He was really good, and he's another guy who, you know, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody on Twitter be like, you know, Scott Mayfield makes a great move or scores a goal, and people are like, who the hell is Scott Mayfield? But... To see this guy come along and to see Pellick for two for that matter come along was really really good and and they have numbers to back those up too right yeah when uh, you know when you talk about surprises those guys I think are right up there um, I think what we learned this season in a lot of ways was the type of impact that quality defensive coaching can have on young players shocking uh, a shocking yeah. turn of events. <laughs> You know, it's 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 such an interesting juxtaposition going from a rookie coach who 
really didn't know how to coach defense to a future Hall of Fame coach who specializes in defense. Yeah, <laughs> and right. we saw that play out on the ice. Like a lot of these guys who, you know, if you, you know, peruse the internet, you'd hear the word bust thrown around and, oh, I can't believe they gave him this contract. In fact, I was one of those people that was a pretty hefty detractor on the Scott Mayfield contract and I look pretty dumb right about now. But I think, hey, I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that these guys um, entered in for the first time a, a kind of proven system with proven coaches and um, it's not that they didn't have the talent, but putting that all together into uh, you know productive NHL seasons can be a difficult thing. And um, to see all of them pan out, uh, the the two guys we're talking about, plus Taves and, and Pollock, is is really an incredible thing. It's kind of lucky in a sense that they all look as good as they do. But when you can get almost a, a total top four for uh, not too much money, you're, you're you're in pretty good shape. So where the team goes from here is going to be kind of an interesting thing because they do have some pretty big contracts attached to you know guys like Johnny Boychuk and Nick Letty. Um, but in terms of, you know, cost control defensemen and, and looking at where things can go in the future, at least for next year, they're, they're really well off and they have potential to, to do a lot of damage because they have a lot of cap space to play with. Oh yeah, sure. And, uh, and they have a couple of guys in the minors too, uh, Sebastian Ajo being number one, uh, and a couple of guys a little bit further away, like Noah Dobson and Bodie Wild in, in juniors. Uh, who can, uh, yeah, even make that even more of even more effective and cost-effective uh, top six defense. So yeah, no, they're they're definitely, you know, they're this the setting is there. Or like I should say, like the the numbers are there to back up that these guys had had good seasons and and like you said, the the fact that they've been actually taught how to play defense now by Barry Trotz and I guess Lane Lambert and John, I think John Gruden is the guy who, who kind of handled the defense. I mean, they, they did yeah. a masterful job in taking these guys and, and you know, you mentioned it with, with Pollock, but I think that kind of goes for everybody on the team forwards too. Like the first 15, 20 games or so, this team was trying to figure out what the hell they needed to do. And some games they won. That was where like, you know, the goaltending really kind of <laughs> saved their bacon and they, they probably won a lot more points than they should have at that point. Cause the, the goaltending really bailed them out. But once they figured things out, and again, a lot of that had to do with Taves coming up, you could really see where this team, what kind of team they wanted to be and and how they wanted that to play. And it starts with the defense and how they were, you know, the Penguin series. I mean, I know we don't want to use like a small sample size as as kind of like, you know, the indicative uh, whatever, uh, you know, the the way it's supposed to be. But you saw it in that, that series, like. They were on top of the Penguins the entire time. They, they Sidney Crosby barely had an inch to work with, and even when they got loose, you know they were always in position to where they were able to clear the puck calmly out of the zone or get it to a forward, let the goalie do what he needs to do, then calmly clear the puck out. and And the fact that those four guys in particular were able to do that with regularity through you know whatever four fifths of the season really says a lot about the coaching staff and also a lot about them and how, yeah, I mean, going forward, this is going to be the group and you know what, that's not too bad. Uh, so we'll have to see where it goes. Yeah. There's something to be said about repeatability and Barry Trotz talks about that a lot, but yes. these guys kind of knew what to do in any situation. Like it's just drilled into their brains at this point, like <laughs> dump into this corner. You know, this is where I need to support. This is where I need to be breakouts. This is where I need to be, uh, defending at the blue line, this is where I need to be. Like they have answers for all of that mm. at this point. And yeah, I mean, they they did a masterful job against Pittsburgh. And honestly, they did a good job against Carolina too. I think 
you know, they struggled a little bit on on retrievals in that series yeah. just because of Carolina's ridiculous forecheck. Yeah, and the uh, speed that the Hurricanes have that the Penguins really do not, quite frankly. Totally. Yeah. Um, but even even then, like a lot, you know, I know what the narrative is because the two teams are kind of like on opposite ends of the spectrum from a Corsi perspective. But the Islanders really controlled that series from an expected goals perspective. And a lot of that was because um, they their defense still played really well in, in spurts. And um, that's that's simply due to them knowing exactly what to do in pretty much every situation. So. Um, that is a, a credit to the coaching staff and a credit to the players for buying into what they were selling. Uh, speaking of knowing where the other guys are going to be, uh, we definitely always need to talk about the fourth line, the best fourth line ever, the Sezikis line, the identity line, whatever you want to call them. We, they have the line of a million names, I guess. But uh, Matt Martin, Casey Sezikis, Cal Clutterbuck. Um, you know, you could also make the case that Sezikis almost was the MVP for the team. I mean, he had, he had 20 goals last year. Which is uh, right? Did he finish with twenty? Yeah, he did. So uh, you know, that's that's an uh, an unbelievable number for a guy who had only I think previous I think his previous high was eight. So I mean, that's quite a jump. And I mean, when we talk about repeatability, if you told me that next year Casey Zeke was unlikely to score another twenty goals, you know what? I probably believe you. I'd love to see it happen again, but it's probably not going to happen again. In all fairness to, to Casey, but that line again, you know that it's not a it's not a, a, a you know hyperbole or or out of the realm of possibility, just say that they, when Matt Martin was reacquired by Lou Lamorello and put back with that line, they not only picked up where they left off, but arguably were better this year under trots than they were under Jack Capuano, who again, you know, didn't really <laughs> let them loose the way, the way that, uh, or, or show them the ropes the way trots did. Um, the problem for them is going to be that Cal Clutterbuck is now going to be out for a long time. Um, you know, with uh, his injury, he, he's got more injuries than we can count at this point. He's got slip discs up and down his, his vertebrae, and it seems sounds kind of painful. Um, but for that line, if that, you know, let's fast forward to October and say, like, you know, Cal's not ready. Um, of the guys who are here, uh, Leo Komarov, Tanner Fritz, who was hurt for a little while, maybe Michael Dow Cole, or maybe somebody else I'm not even thinking of right now. Is there somebody that you think could, could step in to Cal's role and kind of make that line still effective the way it is with him? Uh, or, you know, or is that something they have to might maybe go out and get over the summer? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, Cal Clutterbuck had a really underrated season. Um, he was one of the team leaders in, in high danger chances for percentage and, and expected and goals for too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He, uh, he does a lot of things under the radar that are actually under the radar. Um, but one of the things, I mean, obviously the chemistry between the three and when they're not playing together, like it kind of breaks. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real wild thing that I, to be honest, have been meaning to write about, but it's, <laughs> it's honestly hard to figure out why it is. I think, you know, I'm not one of those guys that kind of dismiss the idea of intangibles and, and they got it. Um, <laughs> You know, there are things that I think they have role types that make sense. Um, you know, Casey Sezikis is one of uh, uh, the better passers on the team, and that's his role on that line. But then he goes and scores 20 goals, so it kind of, like, blows up that theory. Um, to replicate those guys, I mean, I think Michael Dal Cole probably gives them the best chance to do that just based off of um, his defensive metrics and the fact that he has a, a bit of skill to go along with that. Um, the thing that may hurt that is he's a left-handed shot and Clutterbuck's a right-handed shot, which means someone would have to go in their off wing. Um, 
to be honest, I don't know if anyone else in the team or really in the organization has the uh, potential to live up to what Clutterbuck does to that line over 82 games when you take everything into account. Um, you know, I think Josh Hosang is, is an option, but at the same time, the, this regime does not play top six players in fourth line roles. Like, that's just not something that they're going to do. Um, and in Hosang's case, they probably shouldn't, but if you're looking at right-handed shots that have potential to make an impact next season, he'd be on the list. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the problem is you don't necessarily want to go out and spend money to replace Clutterbuck either, um, just because they, they have clear problems up front in terms of scoring, and that's going to cost them a lot of money to fix. Um, they have spent a lot of money in the bottom six over the last couple of years. Martin and, and Komarov are still under contract for next year as part of that. Um, so it may be a situation where they you know trust Sezikis and Martin to, to handle the bulk of the minutes, and uh, whether it's Komarov or whether it's a rookie or a second-year guy that goes in and rotates, um, that just might have to be the plan um, because I just don't see overspending on you know uh, someone that comes in and plays ten minutes a night as a really tenable solution for a team that really needs to beef up its scoring to get to that next level. Yeah, you know it's funny when you think about like if you were to describe Leo Komarov and Cal Clutterbuck, you know they would sound very similar guys. Like they're they're bottom six guys. They're you know veteran guys. They they're good in the corners. They're good at like you know starting shit with other teams. You know they they're not without scoring pop, but that's not really their their key uh, you know role. They they both kill penalties and like that they have a lot of shared shared uh, you know common traits there. But if Cal's out and you they plug Komarov into that spot that line just does not work <laughs> it just doesn't work at all and I mean maybe that's just because they're not as familiar with Leo as they have been with Cal uh but it's just funny how you know right there is is an argument for you know these guys aren't interchangeable there's not like Lego bricks where you can just take one and pop it into another spot like there's a big difference there and you know even when guys seem similar uh it's not it's not that easy so yeah that clutterbuck injury I know a lot of people were like oh well no big deal but it's going to be a big deal. <laughs> it's going to be a problem. Yeah, I think, I think so. it's I think it's a problem. Um, the only other thing I can think of that they might want to look at is actually elevating Sezikis to the third line center position and bringing in a right hand center to play uh, on the fourth line with Komarov and and Martin and just kind of limit their minutes. But again, that kind of creates a, a depth problem for them because you look at the teams that are left. I mean, these all these teams have fourth lines that play minutes yeah. and and forecheck well and um that you know that's something that you're going to lose with Clutterbuck he is one of the better forecheckers on the team um just his skating ability and and his ability to to know where to be um within that mm. forecheck especially whether it's F1 or F2 he he does a good job there so losing that is, is it's hard to replace and it's it's not just because they're going to lose his 8 to 10 goals it's because they're going to lose all of the things that he does well that leads to you know, momentum, in-game momentum shifts that leads to the next shift being in the offensive zone, et cetera. And, and that's, you know, that's hard to quantify, but it, it's something that does exist. And we kind of saw that in the Hurricane series where, um, you know, one bad shift leads to four bad shifts leads to a goal against. <laughs> um, so. yeah. I, I, I believe it was you maybe who said, uh, 
you know, when that line is working, it's really good. But when they're not working, oh, look out. It's yeah. bad. Like, it's, it, you know, things get really bad in a heartbeat. Uh, I'm, I will, before we move on to our last guy before our break, uh, I, my, one of my favorite sound tigers, Scott Inzer, had a really like injury marred season. And he would have been the kind of guy I would think could kind of come in and step up and, and, you know, play, fill in a role like that. But, uh, yeah, he did not have a good year. He only played 40 games, and uh, I think he was scratched a couple of times, and he only finished with nine points. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe next year you never know. Maybe he, he, it's, you know, his time to, to come up and spend a little more time on the NHL roster. Uh, one guy I want to talk to real quick um, is Anthony Beauvillier, who, you know, he, he, he comes here sort of at the end of our list, uh, which is a little bit like his role on the team. He's just sort of like – he doesn't really have like a spot and that doesn't mean that he's not a good player. I mean, he, he's had, he had a good season. He finished, uh, let me call this up here. You know, he ended up finishing with 18 goals after having 20 last year, uh, only 28 points. He only had 10 assists. He's not really a, a passer by nature. Um, but I mean, what was your take on, on his season? I, I think he's still kind of a little bit sort of in the early Josh Bailey mode where he, he's got skills, but he's just sort of looking for that, that role and that niche and maybe those line mates that can really elevate him to being sort of like a, 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 a you know, repeatable or, or a, um, a reliable member of the team. Because that, if that's one thing that I would say his season was, it, he just wasn't reliable. Like he, he would have stretches where he played really well and then stretches where he didn't get really anything at all. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, the Josh Bailey comparison is the one I was very prepared to make. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's a 21 year old player who, you know, he's in his third season and I know that's, kind of the point where people want results and I, I get that um at the same time they're kind of getting it I mean he scored I think 38 or 39 goals over the last two seasons um he's he's uh, entering his uh first RFA or second contract coming up uh, heading into next year and I'm sure it will be a bridge deal and it's still going to be an affordable deal so it's like you look at this player and you're like if he's giving me 15 to 20 goals or so and he's doing it at you know a rate that makes sense within the cap structure, there's really no reason to, to move him or do anything there. Um, but at the same time, like we're also kind of at a crossroads where the team needs scoring. And if there is a player that they can bring in and, and you know we know that he was dangled at the trade deadline, um, this could be an option or an opportunity where Lamarillo looks at, at the roster um, looks at players that have, have value, especially given his age, and um, you know maybe there's something to do there. It's not necessarily necessarily something that I would advocate per se, um, <laughs> but to say that it's not on the table at this point, I think would be naive too. I mean, uh, it's kind of a, he his season or his role next season could go in a lot of different directions. Um, I agree that he's pretty likely to be you know a good player down the line. The question is. The patience of the team with him, with the direction of the team at large, um, and what the expectations are heading into next season, I think that's going to determine a lot um, with him. Because unlike Josh Bailey, you know, Bailey's fourth season, the team still wasn't very good. Bovillier's, you know, fourth season, team's coming off a second round appearance. And I would imagine that everyone involved in the organization wants to take the next step. So, um you know, I think there's a lot of options, and but I also think there's a lot of runway for him. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't by any means think they're gonna get rid of him or anything. His his friendship with Matthew Barzell, I think, is way too important for them to simply trade him <laughs> away. Although, you know, you never know what comes back the other way. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's just funny how it, guys like 
like that. I think like Bailey is like was like that too. Uh, this wasn't as extreme as Bailey. I mean, I remember when Bailey would be like the first line center on one game and then the fourth line checking center on the other, and you're like, huh, what is this guy? Even I'm confused as what this guy's supposed to do. I don't. Th- I think he's probably confused too. But uh, yeah, I, it's just he's such a. And I totally forgot you. I'm glad you mentioned his age because I completely forgot that he's 21 years old and this is his third season. So I mean, it's like, you know, uh, here I am kind of like come on man where are you but at the same time i mean he's 21 like there's you know not everybody is kind of a fully formed uh you know animal at, at that age yeah so, no and, uh, and i'll say this you know if it were me you know giving up players that are under 23 and are producing at this level is a tough pill to swallow definitely would not be the primary route that i go down no um but it's one of those things like you also can't rule anything out at this juncture either just because of the unpredictability of where lamorello spirit don't get any information, sees the team going next season and where they came from. You know, it's kind of one of those guys that you, you have to imagine is going to be around in the rumor mill a little bit. That, that makes sense. And that is a perfect segue to our second half, so which we will get to. And we'll talk about changes and the upcoming offseason right after these messages. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So the Islanders have kind of a huge uh, offseason coming. Every offseason is kind of huge, but the Islanders have a very huge offseason in the sense that here they've had this unexpectedly great season. You know, I mean, they, they were expected to be a lottery team and then not only finished second in the division with the most points they've had since 1983, but they won a playoff round in the sweep for the first time since 1983 and had a great season, successful season by all means. But they have a number of guys who are going to unrestricted free agency and they have oodles of cap space. Even if they sign those guys, they still have room to improve. And they have a couple of guys that maybe could find themselves being traded. Uh, let's let's start off with not Anders Lee. Uh, we'll get to him in a second. But I want to start with Brock Nelson because Nelson got mentioned in uh, Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts this week. It's not often that the Islanders get mentioned in that column. But uh, he basically said that um, his you know he's hearing rumblings that the Islanders and Nelson are – or the Islanders are trying to work out a deal to keep Nelson. Uh, Brock had, and Mike and I were saying last week, basically his best season. I don't know what the numbers say, but – uh, he had a season like that we didn't think he could have. He was engaged. He was uh, on both sides of the puck, just a different kind of player under Barry Trotz. And, you know, part of me wants to keep him because he was obviously very productive and, and he stands to be productive. He's still not old, he stands to be productive in, in the future. But at the same time, I wonder if that resigning him is going to kind of prevent them from upgrading the second line center position. Uh, what was your take on Nelson's season and what's your take on potentially bringing him back? 
So I agree with you guys. <laughs> I, I think this was his most consistent season to date. Um, it was it was clear in his production totals. I mean, he was one off his career high in goals, and he set a career high in points. And um, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep on plus minus, but he had an extremely positive season in that <laughs> regard too. And you know, I think overall, like to your point, he was a player that really bought into the quality over quantity uh, message that Trotz was, uh, you know, kept kind of drilling into their heads. Um, his scoring chance rate, his danger rate, and his expected goals rate were above his overall possession rate. So, you know, I think that kind of falls in line, too, with what his production said, which was this was a guy that, you know, when he was getting uh, op- he was getting opportunities and given his, his shot and his release, he was capitalizing on it. So um, there's no question, you know, 53 points for a second-line center is, is, is pretty in line, I think, with what you would find around the league. I know there's exceptions to that rule. I, I get that. Um, but overall, you know, you can't look at that production and, and think that he's out of place in that role. Um, I, I also get what you're coming, where you're coming from in the sense of, you know, is this an area that the team can actually upgrade? And maybe, uh, you know, certainly there are centers out there that could come in and, and you know, play at a similar level, if not a better level. But um, you also have a player here that has missed two games in five years. That's it. <laughs> Which is an aspect of Brock's play that we I continually forget. Like he's just always there, you know. He's he's there. Um, he scores twenty goals basically every year. Uh, he's you know typically a forty five to or forty to forty five point uh, guy, but he played more minutes per game this year. He's up close to eighteen minutes this year, which was far more than he's played in the past. So he really has to trust the coaching staff. Um, he was playing uh, at times first power play. He was playing penalty kill at times. So this is a guy that I think they really feel can de- develop into an all-situations player. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he has to be pigeonholed into the second-line center spot. Um, he's played wing earlier in his career. That could be a route that they go down. Um, having flexibility in the lineup is certainly something that I think is is advantageous to them. Um you know, or they could move him down to the third line center if they improve. And I know, um, you know, there's cost implications there where people don't necessarily want to pay a third line center that much money. But at the same time, if we look at the forwards as just a group of 12 or a group of 14, you want your top producing players to be making the most money. I don't necessarily care where that means they're playing, you know, in the lineup. But when you look at it on a screen, to me, it's are these guys playing, taking advantage of the minutes that they're getting and producing? Um, to me, you know, a year ago, I probably would not have felt this way, but Nelson is a guy that really seemed to blossom under Barry Trotz, 27 years old, um, which, you know, is not young for hockey these days. Uh, but you know, I, I certainly think a, a four or five year contract could, could make sense, uh, for him and the team. And if they're able to strike a deal within that range, you know, I think, uh, Remember, the, the key thing, and I'm going to say this a lot as we move through this segment, is this is a team that did not score a lot of goals last year. If you subtract 25 goals from the team, plus, again, we already talked about right. Casey Zizekas is probably not going to hit 20 again next year. Where yeah. are these goals coming no, that, from? For sure. Like, that's that's a huge concern. And like you said, I mean, Brock is essentially good for at least 20. I mean, even before this season when he was kind of like – you know, Mr. Inconsistency, he was still good for 20 goals basically every season. So now you're adding a consistent play level and a consistent defensive level on top of that 20 goals, if not 25 goals. Yeah, that's that's a huge thing. 
Um, real quick, we could do a whole episode on this, but there's two things you brought up real quick that I just want to get to. And I, I think there is a sort of a maybe a, a disconnect, I think, in a, within the, the heads of a lot of fans. And I, I throw myself in there, too, as well with this. But like this has come up a couple of times, like, you know, what is it? What is a second line center? mean to you like how many points did a second line center have and i mean i i forget what it came out and somebody asked this a couple of years ago and i think it was the answer was you know probably 50 points and you know if you ask a lot of people they'd be like no nah, that's too low like 50 is not that high a number but you know in this day and age 50 points is pretty much what second line centers get and brock nelson basically had that last year he had 51 51 53 points so i mean that's kind of what it is and i mean if you get anything above that for your second line center that's pretty damn good, <laughs> but if you get if you get that, that's about average, and that's pretty much where those numbers should be. Also, that same thing, that same disconnect exists in people's uh, expectations of how these how much these guys should pay, get paid. So, like Brock Nelson made four point two million this year, and I'm sure a lot of people out there were like, "Ah, that's way too much money for a guy who only scored fifty three points." But really, those both those numbers are both pretty average for a guy in that role for those that production. Like, there's really nothing wrong with all that, and. Brock is probably going to get if if they do re- if the Islanders do resign him, yeah, I would think probably four or five year contract, probably more than you know, well, uh, not probably, but north of four point two million, probably more like five million or five and a half at least for a couple of those seasons. So you know that's that's pretty much what you're looking at, and you just hope that that consistency that you know happened throughout this entire season continues into seasons two and three and four and five. So that'll be kind of something. Um, the next guy again we'll talk about is Anders Lee, uh, the captain. You know, he had a down year in terms of goal scoring. He finished with 28, which is down from 40 a year ago. But something you mentioned, too, was also worth bringing up. This team did not score a lot of goals, particularly on the power play. And that is a huge thing. And I wonder how many of these guys who had, quote, unquote, down years would have had better looking years had the Islanders power play been more than, say, anemic, which is what it kind of was throughout the season. What did they finish, like 27th or something in the in the league? It was something like that. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, had the yeah. Islanders even had, like, an average power play, I mean, Andrews Lee probably would have had another 35 goals, in which case we wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd just be like, just sign the damn guy already, you know? It's, it's enough. But um, Lee's going to be an interesting case because he's, he's up there. He's 29 years old. Um, and, but he, he is the guy who, you know, Barry Trotz has said, you know, he tried earlier in his coaching career, he tried to teach all 22 guys and he just found he couldn't do it because everybody's kind of different. But if you teach the guys, if you coach the guys who then spread the message, you can get to everybody. And I think that's what happened with Anders Lee. It was clear that Lee was on board with the coaching staff on board with what they wanted to do. And he, that filtered down to the rest of the guys because he said, you know, he talked to everybody about who the leaders were and Anders Lee's name came up every time. So, you know, we're sitting here saying it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's going to resign, but here we are on May 13th and he hasn't resigned yet. Uh, I want him back. I'm sure you want him back. We all want him back, but like, what are the implications of him coming back uh, again in, in that same role? Yeah, I, I, you know, before we even get into like his metrics and his production, and all that, I, there's a lot to be said for the position that he found himself in yeah, heading sure. into this season, <laughs> getting named getting named captain on like the day of the first game of the season after everything that went down last summer and having full buy in. And to what you just said, I mean, not just having full buy in, but kind of, you know, being that obviously, you know, I'm not in the room, but. It's very clear that he had an influence there, and you know when you look at the year-over-year points, team points, 
and you see the jump that they made and and see the role that he played in with all that it's 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 hard even forgetting the goals and all that to just (laughs) throw that away um and then yeah when you add in what he does on the ice i mean he was top i think he was sixth or seventh in individual high danger chances which is not just all the high danger chances that take place when he's on the ice it's literally him taking those attempts (laughs) um he does so many things that I think people don't realize on the ice itself. You know, people expect him to score, and he had a pretty average shooting year, which is how he ended up around 30 goals and not more than that. But think about what he does in front of the net, how he's able to create space for his line mates or on the power play for other people uh, around him. And I know the power play was anemic, but the Islanders actually had one of the higher expected goal outputs on the power play. Uh, in the league this season, which I know is kind of hard to believe. <laughs> to me, it was just a matter of them not having the shooting talent anymore to compensate for that. Um, but that's not really what Andrews Lee's role is. His role is to be physical in front of the net, create space, deflect pucks, do all those things that you know make life difficult on a goalie or make life difficult on the defense. And he did all that. Um, he did all that through the regular season. He did all that through the playoffs. And I know... Uh, the production wasn't there in the playoffs, but you actually go back and look at all the chances he had. He actually, I think even still, uh, is leading the league in high danger chances per 60 uh, at five on five in the entire league during the playoffs. <laughs> um, it just, it sometimes it just doesn't happen and, and it didn't happen for him. And I know, you know, obviously as the captain, he's expected to, and as the team leader in, in goals, he's expected to produce, but um yeah, I mean, it, it was a bad time for a scoring rep for him, but it wasn't for lack of trying, and it wasn't an effort thing. Like, he was doing everything that he normally does, and, you know, when you go and, and look at projecting him into next year, when you combine what he does on the ice with what he does off the ice, to me, this is a no-brainer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for more information on Anders Lee's playoff performance, although it was only after games one, two, uh, Kerry had a great article on Lighthouse Hockey. I'll put the link back in there to take a look. But yeah, basically, I mean, he was doing what he normally did. It's just they just weren't falling for him. And unfortunately, they, they never ended up falling for him. <laughs> so uh, there you go. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, again, I don't, you know, Mike brought up a good point. Mike, Mike, uh, Mike is the master of, you know, taking when, when you're feeling confident about something, throwing that little thing out there and making you rethink that and be like, Oh shit, you're right. That's a problem. But, uh, you know, I know we all, we all assume that like Kyla Poso and Franz Nielsen, those guys wouldn't leave. And here we are assuming that Lee's going to stay the whole time. But I, I really do think that he's, he's probably going to stay. And certainly the team wants him to stay. And I mean, when you have a, a player and a coach that have sort of found each other that way and an organization that has, you know, found the player and is really, you know, lean on, they lean on each other. I, I think it's safe to say that he probably will end up signing. Although once they come to an agreement, we'll, uh, we'll know about it. And, and hopefully that that gets done as sooner, sooner than later. Um, but yeah, so those two guys, I think we can safely say are probably either going to stay or are the closest ones to staying. Um, Jordan Eberlig is the guy who's, Kind of up in the air. And, you know, Everly had, again, stop me if you've heard this before, kind of a down season for him a little bit. But uh, it was after he was reunited with Matthew Barzell that that line took off again. And, you know, the the quotes now have kind of gone into legend where Barzell said, you know, they wanted to make it after being separated for two thirds of the season. They wanted to make it so that Trotz could not break them up. 
and he want they wanted to show him that they understood the game plan, understood what the coach wanted to do, and they were going to give it to him, and he was going to love the two of them together. And sure enough, that's kind of what they did. And and especially in the playoffs against the Penguins, that line was just dynamite. They they just did everything they needed to do, and it was great. Um, you know, I kind of want to see Eberle. You never want to see these guys leave because you like them. And you know, I want to see Eberle back. I like him, but again, like we were saying with with Nelson. You know, that's a spot, right wing, top line, right wing, whatever you want to call it, that that Eberle might be able to be upgraded in. And Eberle's a good player and all, but, you know, there are guys out there that it may be better. The problem is I don't think the Islanders necessarily have better in their system. And so maybe it's better to keep the guy that you already know or kind of maybe go with somebody else. Uh, what, what did you think of Eberle's season this year? I mean, I, again, I thought he was okay, but he might have been another victim of that sort of power play curse that kind of hurt everybody. Yeah, he had a he had a weird season. I mean, I think it, nothing seemed like totally out of line for him in terms of his minutes. Uh, his shooting percentage was pretty on par. I mean, he was taking less shots this year. Um, yeah, if anything, his shooting percentage was uh... – yeah, it was a little bit down from last year, but it was kind of on par with all the other ones. Yeah, it, it, it just it seemed like for a large portion of it, it just wasn't clicking. And I think both Barzell and Eberle, to, to what you were saying, just to add on to it, basically were like, yeah, we were just trying to beat the 2017-18 Islanders in October, and that was a bad <laughs> idea. And mm-hmm. it was. And, you know, they, obviously they didn't get to play together for the vast majority of the season, but um, they were put back together in the middle of March and basically – once that happened, um, Eberle production went up and so did, uh, Barzell and Lee. Uh, but the thing it's, this is a real tough one because you don't want to sign a player for a, you know, whatever the term would be. I don't even know with, with a guy like this, um, to only play with one player because you need to have flexibility over the course of the season. Like if he's not going to be productive, um, at a fairly consistent rate without Matt Barzell, like that's, somewhat alarming but at the same time when he and Barzell are playing really well together they are incredible together and you know I I don't think this is a situation where you're looking at a guy that's going to get a big raise I mean he's coming off a 37 point season which you know teams are going to look at that and be like what happened there at the same time it's another guy that scored 19 goals it's the first time uh he hasn't scored 20 since the lockout shortened season (laughs) he would have that year so Uh, you know, again, potentially losing that production is is something that it, all of this is a cautionary tale, right? Like when you go back to that 2015-16 offseason, I know I don't want to revisit this too long, but <laughs> all of those guys, like these were the same things that were said about Oposo and Nielsen is, you know, oh, well, we can upgrade on them or, you know, th- these guys are good, but they're not great. And we don't need Mark Streit. We've got Matt Donovan. Right. There's always, was... <laughs> yeah, right. There's always like a contingency at play when these guys – that are here with the team now are productive and they are good players and replacing them. I don't think it's going to be as easy as people would like it to be. Um, so I'm more in the, uh, and I'm going to write about this, I think next week, but I'm more in the camp of keeping, trying to keep Everly. Um, but with the understanding that like, Hey, if it doesn't work out, like of the, of the three forwards that play, like this is the one that, uh, I think is the most, uh, complimentary in in terms of roster fit where he really his production is really with one guy for the most part um so but this is a tough one because again like losing him you're still losing those points and then you have to go find those points and add add on top of that so um (laughs) yeah and and like you said like his his contract he's 
he's the highest paid forward right now on the team at six million, or at least he was last year, and that that was the contract he had from the Oilers. So that you know, with Nelson, you know he's going to get a raise. With Lee, you certainly know he's going to get a raise. But with Everly, it's kind of weird because. You know, I don't know if they necessarily give him a raise over $6 million. That's a lot. And I don't know if they want to go to $7 million a year. But at the same time, that's, you know, totally within his rights to be like, well, I can get that from someplace else. And he, you know what? He probably would. So that that one to me, I mean, I, don't know, I know Nelson is the kind of one that people don't really know where they're going to go. But to me, Eberle is the more fascinating one because that could sign. I don't think he's going to sign for less than $6 million, but. I don't know. Maybe he just loves it here. Maybe he just loves playing next to Matthew Barzell. So, man. Yeah, I think this is the one that's going to really go down, like, to July 1st itself. Because, you know, to your point, if he feels that he can get that contract, then the Islanders are probably going to let him try and get it. Um, Evolving wild, those two guys put out their contract projections, I think, uh, last week. And they currently have Everly at a seven-year deal at $6 million as, like, the average uh, projected term and projected mm-hmm. cap hit, which would I think be basically the same contract he signed with Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> it would. So, and maybe he's yeah, happy. So, I mean, hey, I seven know, years but, is a lot of term for a 29 year old player, but at the same time, those 29, 30 year old yeah. guys typically get big, big terms. So, right, right. Then that's that's exactly the way they want it because that's the way it's it is in the in the CBA. So, yeah, no, that's going to be an interesting one. We'll, we'll have to kind of see. Uh, and then. Uh, with all due respect to Val Philpola, we're gonna we're gonna skip right over him. <laughs> you know what? If he comes back, I can see him coming back for some kind of cheap, you know, one year contract or something like that. But if he can go get something better and, and maybe play someplace else, I, I could see him. I could see him as a New Jersey Devil, to be perfectly honest with you. I think he's the kind of guy that could end up over there. But maybe he'll be back. Who knows? Uh, he's another guy who, you know, a lot of the same, same things we've talked about so far. Uh, shooting percentage. His shooting percentage was like twenty yep. percent this year, which is, you know, you don't have to be a math genius. <laughs> figure out that's not gonna that's probably not gonna happen again um so we're gonna skip over Valpler right now but we are gonna get to robin leonard who we've kind of saved uh for last a little bit um you know it, we've we've been singing this guy's praises forever everybody on uh all islanders fans have been i mean it's just an unbelievable story he's a finalist for the vezina trophy he did literally everything the islanders could have possibly asked for him they gave him a place where he could uh, you know, recover and and be safe and and feel you know comfortable in his recovery and and he said like you know the team was always behind me and helped me uh, and my family with whatever we needed and that's just awesome. Um, you know, signing him is a no brainer. Like they need to sign this guy and and they need to get it uh, to get, to get him down. Um, you know, as hopefully as soon as possible for and I and I think he would be. Most people have said he's going to be cheaper than signing Sergei Bobrovsky, who you know may or may not go to UFA, and that's probably true too. But I mean, like, could you even ballpark like exactly how important this guy was to the success of this team this year? I mean, it's got to be somewhere in the in the region of he's the MVP. Like I know I, we started off joking about non goalie MVPs, but I mean. Under under pretty much any other way of looking at it, he's the team. Yeah, I, I I mean, there's every chance they don't make the playoffs without him. Like the the amount of impact that goalies have on a team, and what makes it frustrating is how hard it is to actually predict goalie performance. But their impact right, yeah. is so tangible uh, in in standings points and things like that that it's it it is legitimately something where you could look at a case like this that was so extreme in the positive direction and be like, yeah, I mean, they're not coming 
close to that 103 points without him, whether it's 92, 94, but like that's playoff bubble territory. And that's a big difference than where they ended up. So, um, you know, his performance this year was ridiculous. And he's, you know, he's taken home probably at least two pieces of hardware. He's up for a third. I mean, I think he's getting rewarded for the season that he put in. And, um, you know, you like to see that. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, And, you know, it's funny too, like, Thomas Grice also had a hell of a season, but I think, you know, as we've been talking about guys who could potentially be replaced and maybe not be replaced, uh, I think it's safe to say, and you know, again, no no disrespect to Thomas Grice, I think it's safe to say that he works better as a tandem. Like he 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 and and Leonard made such a good team together that that is sort of an example of what you're talking about, where it's like you don't need to have one guy like it's 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 good to have depth. And, you know, the goalies have said, like, when one guy was playing well, the other guy was was backing him up. And, hey, that's fine, because the other guy's going to go through his rut. And then the other guy, you know, the, the guy who was the backup is now going to start. And and it worked out that way. And, and I think, you know, the two of them, you know, Leonard obviously became the starter towards the end of the season. He was a starter all throughout the playoffs. But I mean we can't discount Grice and he's here for another season. And and right now, you know what last year at this time, that was looking like a pretty bad two year stretch because he was so awful that year before. But now, I mean, it looks like if they can sign Leonard, then those two guys are going to come back and, and hopefully come close to what they did before. <laughs> Although, like you said, goalies are, are very hard to predict, but I mean, they work, they work pretty well as a team. And, and uh, I, you know, I hate, I like talking about Leonard, but at the same time, I, I keep forgetting that Grice was, was pretty damn good this year too. But like you said, they don't come close to the playoffs without both of them really. Right. And I think, you know, with goaltending, because it is so inherently difficult to predict, I mean, and let's just, let's get one thing straight, whether they sign Leonard or not, you know, the chances that he puts up a nine thirty save percentage right. again next season <laughs> it's not as high as him, you know, coming down a couple of points and that's okay. Like the team needs to be prepared for that. But, um, the one thing that you can do is have what the Islanders have, which is contingency plan. And Thomas Grice is, uh, well, he showed this year that, you know, when he's on his game, he's one of the better contingency plans in, in the (laughs) game. And I think that's undercutting him. I mean, I think realistically the two of them, um, as a tandem made up, probably if not the best one of the best 1a 1b combos in the league and and the game is trending that way like you're you're starting to see less goalies play 65 70 games more goalies play 45 games um and that that's simply because you know as teams give themselves kind of a little bit more of a margin of error um they're able to adjust and that's why i i'm typically one that uh looks at a guy like sergey bobrovsky and and gets scared because (laughs) He's going to be a lot of money. He's going to be a lot of years. And when you combine those two things together, you're limiting the amount of contingency that you can that you can afford in the cap structure. Yeah, no, sure. Leonard isn't that guy. I mean, Leonard Leonard's going to get a raise that he absolutely deserves, and he's going to get a multi-year contract that he absolutely deserves. Um, but when you look at the other guys that are going to be free agents, Barlama, Bobrovsky, guys like that. This is a guy that just fits with the team that he's currently on, and to ignore that, I think, is would be a little bit foolish. So, I'm I'm in your camp. I think this is a situation where it kind of works for both parties, and um, you know, should the team get it done, uh, kind of also limits the amount of reliance on a guy like Ilya Sorokin too. So, um, you know, it's all about like with gold. Really, is all about like making sure you have 
uh, the ability where if one fails, you got to fail safe for that. Um, and also making sure that you also have flexibility there too, because you also don't want to get you know caught into a contract that uh, is uh, like, obviously this isn't going to be the case with Leonard, but you don't want a, a carry price deal where right. if he has one bad year, like the entire year is, is right, done. Cause he's, he's um, the guy using all, you're using all your money basically on that one guy. So exactly. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, and, and you know, but it, that, that leads us to, I guess our, our final topic or one of our final topics, but uh, a couple of days after the Islander season ended, uh, Dom at the athletic had an article about, uh, you know, whether or not the Islanders can sustain their level of success this year, or will they regress? And he kind of pointed to teams that had had a season quote unquote out of nowhere, I guess, and were great. They went to the playoffs and then the next season fell back down to earth in a really hard way. And that's all historical knowledge. And I get that. And I appreciate that. But at the same time, you know, in reading it, I couldn't help but think a couple of things like one, you know, those are teams that, that are going back years and years. And, you know, each one of them had 22 to 25 different players on it that aren't these 25 to, you know, 22 to 25 different players. But also the bigger thing is that, you know, the Islanders have a ton of free agents who we just talked about and a ton of guys who, you know, are kind of moving parts and, and really are uh, unknown quantities next year. I mean, the four guys we just talked about could all return. Or they could all leave. I mean, we don't want them to, but they could potentially all leave. They also have guys in the minors that can step up. And even if those players do leave, that's going to leave the Islanders with literally tens of, of millions of dollars in uh, open cap space that they can use then to replenish those spots. And, you know, yeah, I guess you know, there's obviously a very clear argument to be made that Leonard, for example, won't have a st- as statistically a good season next year as he had this year. But you know what? If the Islanders augment their scoring and get their power play in order and can do you know X, Y, and Z, you know maybe he doesn't have to have a nine thirty save percentage. And if he has a you know totally fine nine twenty save percentage, they can be just as good by offsetting things into uh, you know other areas. So I mean, d- am I reading that wrong, or or is that <laughs> kind of you know am I, am I the only one who thought that article was maybe three or four months too early? Yeah, it, it's a little premature, but this is what I'll say to that. I mean, in terms of like looking at things at an abstract, high-level point of view, these aren't things that none of us you know haven't been talking about. Like we've been talking oh, about, sure. hey, they have a high PDO, right? Their goaltending's been carrying them. Dude, we're Islanders fans. Shoot. We're always waiting for right. the shoe to drop. Like <laughs> totally, right? Like this isn't new information right. to us. Um, but you're right. Like the things that you can do to mitigate reliance on things like goaltending or reliance on shooting percentage is to acquire better players and they have the ability this summer from a a cost perspective to to do that they also have trading chips this year that i don't think they've had i mean that's one of the benefits of making the playoffs is a lot of guys look really good in in those situations and so um there there's ample opportunity for for lou lamarillo to go out and, and improve the team. So I think from that perspective, like you're right, if you're going to look at things from a detailed perspective, it's premature. Um, but you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, like I know the, I know the source and I know people, you know, I know what's been going on with the athletic obviously and, and the fans, but what I'll say is, and really the athletic Toronto because Arthur and, and Shana are great. <laughs> um, yes. uh, what I'll say is that, uh, 
it's a good it's something that I hope management takes to heart, which is that I really hope they don't look at the result this season and think that this is a finished product or near a finished product. Like the things that happened this year in a lot of ways, like were the result of a com- a lot of things going right. There was a combination of unheard of stories coming through as well as uh, different factors that all played out in really positive ways. You can't predict that will happen the same way next year. And if they read one article, I hope it's that in the sense of like, hey, we still have a lot of work to do here. Uh, Again, looking at the teams that are still playing right now, like they all have high end guys that the Islanders have very little of. Um, And if you don't want to be one of those teams that Dom referenced, you have to go out and get better players. And that is going to be, I think, what the mandate has to be this summer for for the Islanders. Yeah, judging by the comments that they've made, you know, even during the season, I mean, Trotz has said, you know, they have they're kind of working on a five year plan to to become a consistent contender. Uh, Lamorello joked after the season was over that it's a five year plan that changes every day. I don't think I think that's one of the things that encourages me the most about this season is I never got the sense that they thought that this was the finished product, like you said, and, and you know, not to name the names, although we already did before the, the previous regime of this team. Yeah. You did kind of that sense that they're like, yeah, okay. We're okay. I mean, you know, they went through how many off seasons without making any changes that made you think, yeah, they're okay. We're, we're fine. We'll be fine next year. And then of course they were not fine next year. Uh, and so I, I get the sense from, from management this year that they know that they, there are areas to improve. Again, the fact that they have UFAs in pretty much every position is a big deal. Um, but even beyond that, I think that they're, you know, looking at it from like, how can we get better? What can we do to get better and who can we bring in to get better? And so I, I think that I'm not too worried about it. Again, regression is a very real thing. And, you know, even, even good teams don't always have, great seasons following good seasons. I mean, shoot the capitals. We all, nobody thought the capitals were going to win the cup last year. Like we've seen that team play much better. And then they went on to win the cup. So it just, it just goes to show you like, you know, things can, can go down and then they get back, go better. I mean, you know, Vegas didn't look that good for the first half of the season, turned it around halfway through and ended up looking just like Vegas again before they, kind of imploded in that five minute stretch in the playoffs. Or but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, again, I'm not saying that regression won't happen. I'm just saying that there's a lot between then and between now and, you know, the end of next season before we can figure all that out. But uh, I guess one last thing we'll talk about is, yeah, as far as changes go, forgetting about the UFAs for a second, there are trade chips on this team. And one guy that keeps coming up is Nick Letty. And, um, you know, again, we all like Nick Letty. He spent a number of years being basically the de facto best defenseman on this team, particularly from an offensive standpoint. And certainly he's one of the best skating defensemen in the entire league. But now with all the changes that have come about and the evolution of a lot of the younger guys in this team, I don't want to say Letty is expendable because, as we said, you know, it's good to have depth. It's good to have good players at as many positions as you can. But I wonder if he's getting a little, his skill set is a little bit redundant now with guys like Mayfield and, and uh, uh, Taves and, and Pollock and Aho and some of these other guys somewhere down the pipeline. Um, I mean, would, I mean, would you, I, again, I don't think anybody wants to welcome a Nicoletti trade, but I mean, he he's of all the guys on the team, he's, he's clearly like the number one sort of tradable asset, right? He's got no move protection. He's got a pretty reasonable contract for the next three years. Like I, I can't see anybody else on the team that is as, uh, sort of savory for another team as Nick Letty, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, like he 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 has the history of of being basically a number one guy. He's produced 
like not quite, but very close to a number one guy in the past. And yeah, his contract is is quite affordable. I mean, I think in this day and age, we're looking at close to an eighty-five million dollar cap, mm. 84, 83. I mean, he's making five and a half million next year. A lot of teams will be able to fit that in over the summer. Um, and teams are always looking for puck moving defensemen, sure. which he is. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the roster and you look at where things are, he's he's at the top of the list um, in terms of hockey trade potentials. Um, but they can go another route too. I mean, you could trade him for prospects and futures and then flip other prospects and futures for the guy that they really want. So, um, you know, I think so much of, of what happens this offseason is going to come down to creativity um, <laughs> because there are there's a limitless amount of pathways that, that Lamorello and his staff can go down here um, to improve the team. And yeah, I mean, when you look at trades, certainly Nick Letty is close to the top of that list. There are some other names that I think people will be less inclined to hear that are there too. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the door's kind of open. Like they have guys that are affordable, um, that are likely desirable, and they have a lot of cap space to play with. And that, that lends itself to a very interesting offseason. It does. It does. And uh, that's without even talking about uh, Thomas Hickey, who uh, we feel we were talking about last week, doesn't really yeah. seem to have a role uh, on this team going forward. But that's another conversation for another time. Uh, this has been great. This has really been awesome. I think we've you've opened up a lot of eyes here. And, and you know, we've had a, so many of us are worried about where it's going to go next year that seeing what happened this year is is both – you know, illuminating and interesting, but also a little bit frightening because we don't know how they're going to uh, produce next year. But this has really been cool. Uh, what are you uh, working on uh, next? You have some some articles coming out on Lighthouse Hockey soon, right? Yeah. So um, for the next month or so, I'm still going to be writing every week on Lighthouse. I think this week um, we're going to uh, I'm going to have a piece on Robin Leonard. Uh, just continuing that extension talk series that we started before the playoffs. And then that will carry through into July. And then obviously <laughs> it kind of gets crazy around the draft and, and free agency. So whatever the Islanders decide to do, um, I will uh, be there. I think the last time we spoke is right before the trade deadline. I was like, I'm ready. And they didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually looking up <laughs> when the, the draft was. And I was like, oh, June, June 20, it's 22nd, right? I think it's 22nd, 23rd or 21st and 22nd. Yeah. And I, and I, it, oh, yeah, it's the 21st and 22nd. And I thought to myself, oh, all right. And then I thought, wait, that's like a and a half from now. Holy crap. <laughs> that's a long time. There's a there's a lot of time left, but, you know, to see where this team can end up before the draft and then, you know, what happens at the draft. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yep. And then uh, over the summer, uh, I'm going to be working a lot on just kind of refreshing a lot of the charts that I've been doing for the Islanders. I'm going to actually try to uh, get that a little bit more organized for everyone. So look forward to that. And then. Um, summer updates for the cap space are, are kind of underway already, and, and those will be kind of intermittent throughout the summer too. Um, so yeah, kind of a busy couple months ahead. It was nice in some respects to just kind of have a week to decompress from the season a little bit, but uh, that's uh, that's kind of <laughs> over now, and uh, time to get ready for for the draft and free agency. Yeah, those those rest periods are really important. So don't 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 spend too much of your summer on this stuff, and get outside, enjoy the fresh <laughs> air, uh, and you know just. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where it ends up, but uh, we appreciate uh, you. Uh, everything you write for us has, has been great. Uh, you can follow Carrie at Habermetrics on Twitter. You definitely should, because uh, he's a great guy to follow. And uh, we appreciate you coming on with us. And uh, yeah, don't spend too much of your summer working on this stuff. Have fun. <laughs> All right. 
Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, and thanks for hanging out with us. And we will be back uh, next week with uh, maybe another special guest. We'll see what happens. So for Michael Leboff, I'm Dan Saracini. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. What's the frequency can at this show? Vincent Trey.